What a glorious day in the Lord. I don't know about you all, but I came here to magnify his name and speak on the goodness of the Lord. David stated, I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. And I echoes David's words and I say my church of Lynchburg, Virginia. I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. Let's welcome God in this place. He wants the invitation to be part of our worship and in praising his glory. He deserves it. He is worthy. He is awesome. He is amongst us because his word says that when two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. There are some mighty things we should be excited about in praising God, a God that is able. I said a God that is able to do things exceedingly and abundantly beyond our comprehension. A God that provides us the opportunity to come together into his house as one. A God that never fails. He's never late. He's never quit. He never leaves, nor he forsake us. A God that has our best interests in hand. A God that knows it all. A God that has created us in his image. A God that has ordered our steps. A God that has deemed all of us kings and queens. I said, a God that has deemed all of us kings and queens. Let's stir up this atmosphere because when praises goes up, blessing comes down. And we all can use some blessings this morning. So let's send all our praises up first before we send our problems up to God. And to God be the glory. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. First of all, I want to give honor to God for this present moment in time. I do not take this blessing for granted. For all the blessing he has provided me to the shepherd of this house, Pastor Tuck and Pastor Stephanie, the elders, the trustees, and the wonderful online congregation of my church for trusting me to be part of this worship and experience. I send blessings and gratitude to all that are in attendance via Facebook Live, YouTube, and all the other platforms that Pastor Tuck has provided. My family and friends, I come bearing greetings from my home church, Mount Olive Baptist Church in Petersburg, Virginia, under the leadership of my great pastor, the Reverend Dr. Wesley K. McLaughlin, and First Lady Pamela McLaughlin. I'm not going to trouble you any longer because there's a word to share. Please grab your Bibles, your smartphones, your iPad, whatever you use to view God's word and repeat after me. This is my Bible. I believe every word. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. By hearing this word and applying it by faith, it would change my life. So I declare right now from this day forward that my life would never, ever, ever be the same again. And neither shall the life of anyone with whom I share this word. So I declare I'm going to share this word so that someone's life will be changed forever. And I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive and is in Jesus name. Amen. Let's go bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I come to you as your humble servant. Use me as you see fit to share the wonderful word of your son, Jesus Christ. Providing me a word that is able to reach those that are in attendance, that when they leave here, they are able to share that word with others in hopes of creating disciples as you planned for us. I'm asking for preaching and teaching power, not so they can marvel over me, but so they can marvel over you and the great things you have done through me. I will decrease as you increase. 
You get all the glory. It is in Jesus name we pray and I count it done and let everyone who loves the Lord say amen. Again, welcome uh, my church. And again, I, I, I welcome the opportunity to stand before you and bring you God's word. I'm going to teach today from this subject, obedience over sacrifice. Again, I'm going to teach from this subject, obedience over sacrifice. Aside from Moses, no Old Testament character is mentioned more in the New Testament than Abraham. James referred to Abraham as God's friend. That's in James 2, verse 23, a title used by no one else in Scripture. Believers of all generations are called the children of Abraham. Abraham's importance and impact in redemptive history are clearly seen in Scripture. The question is, how did Abraham get such a great title? Was it due to his sacrifice or his obedience to God's command? Abraham's story really turns interested at the start of Genesis 12. In the first three verses, we see the call of Abraham by God. The Lord has said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all people on the earth will be blessed through you. That could be found in Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3. You see, God called Abraham out from his home in Haran and tells him to go to a land that he would show to him. God also makes three promises to Abraham. The first promise is being the promise of the land of his own. The second promise is a promise to be made into a great nation. And the third promise of his blessings these promises from the basis for what we will later be called the Abrahamic covenant. It was established in Genesis 15 and ratified in Genesis 17. What really makes Abraham special is that he obeyed God. Again, what really made Abraham special is that he obeyed God. Genesis 12 verse four records that after God called Abraham, he went as the Lord had told him. The author of the Hebrews used Abraham as an example of faith several times and referred specifically to the impact, the impressive act. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. That was in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. You got to hear what I'm saying. By faith, Abraham, when called to go, to a place he would later receive as his inheritance. First thing he did was obeyed. Second thing he did was went, even though he did not know where he was going. How many of us will leave behind everything that is familiar to us and just go without knowing our destination? The concept of family meant everything to, to a person living in the time of Abraham. In that time, family units were strongly knitted. It was unusual for a family member to live hundreds of miles apart from each other. In addition, we're not told anything about the religious life of Abraham and his family prior to his calling. The people of Ur and Haran worshiped the ancient Babylonian patterns of God, in particular, the moon God, which is sin, and so-called Abraham out of a pagan culture. Abraham knew and recognized the calling of Yahweh. 
the Lord and obeyed willingly, not hesitate, hesitantly. Abraham Lights also showed us the blessing of simple obedience. When asked to leave his family, Abraham left. When asked to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham rose up early that morning to do so. From what we discern from the biblical narrative, there was no hesitation in Abraham's obedience. Abraham, like most of us, may have agonized over these decisions, but when it was time to act, he acted. When we discern a true call from God or read his instructions in his word, we also must act. Obedience is not, obedience is not optional when God commands something. Again, obedience is not optional when God commands something. So let, let, let me dive into the meaning of sacrifice and how it has become secondary to God's command, or should I say obedience? Sacrifice means giving to the Lord whatever he requires of our time, our earthly possessions, and our energies to further his work. The Lord commanded, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Our willingness to sacrifice is an indication of our devotion to God. People have always been tried and tested to see if they will put the things of God first in their lives. Okay, what was the significance of the sacrifices performed by the Lord's covenant people anciently? Let me explain that to you. From the time of Adam and Eve to the time of Jesus Christ, the Lord people practiced the law of sacrifice. They were commanded to offer as sacrifice the firstlings of their flocks. These animals had to be perfect and they had to be without blemish. The audience was given to remind the people that Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the father, will come into the world. He would be perfect in every way and he would offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus did not. Jesus did come and offer himself as a sacrifice, just as the people has been taught he would. Because of his sacrifice, everyone would be saved from physical death by the resurrection, and all can be saved from their sins through the faith of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. Christ's atoning, atoning sacrifice marked the end of sacrifices by the shedding of blood. Such outward sacrifice was replaced by the ordinance of the sacrament. The ordinance of the sacrament was given to remind us of the Savior's great sacrifice. We should partake of these sacraments often. The embezzlement of bread and water reminds us of the Savior's body and his blood, which he shared for us. So the question is, why is obedience better than sacrifice? And for example, we're going to head over to 1 Samuel 15 to explain this. I'll give you time to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I'm going to sum it up for you, but I give you time to get there. Again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 15. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see Saul chose to keep the Amalekite king Algi alive, and he took the plunder from the battle rather than destroying everything as, as God had commanded. Keep in mind what I just read. God gave Saul a command. So key words are that God gave Saul a command. Stay with me now. When Samuel, the prophet Samuel confronted him, Saul said, I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. 
I completed, destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agar, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. The best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God of Gilgal. That could be found in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 20 and 21. But see, now we have Samuel answered in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offering and sacrifice as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. So again, I ask, why is obedience better than sacrifice? There's two answers that are given in 1 Samuel chapter 15. The first answer is, is offered in Samuel's response. He says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, he says, For rebellion is like the sin of deviation, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul's disobedience was an act of rebellion. It was iniquity, which is sin. And it was idolatry. The second answer is often in Saul's confession, which was found in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24. Saul says, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Saul admitted that his sacrifice was a transgression, which is a sin, and was against God's command. It was a result of seeking the approval of people. See, Saul was trying to seek the approval of people. How many of us have done the exact same thing when seeking the approval of other people? God may have given you a command or to obey, but God did not provide all the details and the plans. Whereas you come across your friends, your neighbors, or your family members, they talk you out of it because it didn't make sense to them because you couldn't provide them with all the details. God could have told you to leave that dead end job, but your coworkers said it's going to be hard to find another job. God may have told you to leave that destructive relationship and your friends told you that you better stay where you are. God may have commanded you to go to another place away from your family and the devil is in your head telling you that you would never make it out there on your own. So if we put it all together, we see several reasons why obedience to God is better than making sacrifice or offerings to him. First, disobedience is an act of rebellion. Second, disobedience is sinful. Third, disobedience is a form of idolatry. Fourth, disobedience disrespects God's word. And fifth, disobedience is based on looking good to other people rather than to God. Still today, in our human attempts to look good in serving God, there's a temptation to perform certain religious duties rather than to truly obey God. Every good activity such as giving money to charity, attending church services, or praying in public are not as important to God as obeying his commands. Jesus criticized the teachers of his time for similar practice. See, Matthew 6 Matthew 6 notes three religious activities, fasting, public praying, and giving to those in need that people often use to look good in front of the other people rather than to honor God. As in 1 Samuel chapter 15, the problem is not the offering, but the disobedience of God's command and desire for approval of people rather than the approval of God. So, so let's move on to the three points I would like to uh, speak, preach, 
teach, teach on as it relates to obedience. There will be, number one would be, what does the Bible say about obedience? Number two, the second point would be, what's the difference between active obedience and passive obedience? And the third point would be, why is obedience to God important? So the first point, why does the, what does the Bible say about obedience? What does the Bible say about obedience? The Bible has much to say about obedience. In fact, obedience is a central part of the Christian faith. Jesus himself was obedient to death, the act of taking up his own cross. For Christians, the act of taking up our cross and following Christ means obedience. The Bible says that we should show our love for Jesus by obeying him in all things. John 14 verse 15 said, if you love me, keep my commandments. A Christian who is not obeying Christ's commands can rightly be asked, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? Obedience is defined as a dutiful or submission compliance to the commands of one in authority. Using this definition, we see the elements of the biblical obedience. Dutiful means it is our obligation to obey. Just as Jesus fulfilled his duty to the father by dying on the cross for our sin. Submission indicates that we yield to the, to, to, we yield our wills to God's commands. Command speaks of the scripture in which God has clearly delivered his instructions. The one in authority is God himself, whose authority is total and unequivocally for the Christian obedience means complying with everything has commanded. God has commanded. It is our duty to do so. Having that said, it is important to remember that our obedience to God is not solely a matter of duty. We obey God. We will obey him because he loves us. That's in John 14, 23. Also, we understand that the spirit of obedience is as important as the act of obedience. We serve the Lord in humility, singleness of heart and love. Also, we must be aware of using veneer of obedience to make a, to mask a sinful heart. Let me repeat that. Also, we must beware of using veneer of obedience to mask a sinful heart. Living the Christian life is not all about rules. The first season, Jesus' time, relentless pursue acts of obedience to the law. But they became self-righteous, believing they deserved heaven because of what they had done. They considered themselves worthy before God, who owned them, who owed them a reward. However, the Bible tells you that without Christ, even our best, most religious works are filthy rags. That's in Isaiah Chapter 64, verse 6. See, the Pharisees' external obedience still lacks something, and Jesus exposed their heart attitude. Their hypocrisy in obeying the letter of the law while violating his spirit categorized their lives, and Jesus rebuked them sharply. He goes on to say in Matthew, verse 23, verse 27 through 28, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisee hypocrites. For you are like a whitewashed tomb, which indeed appear beautiful outside, but in the inside they are full of dead men's bones and all of uncleanness. Even so, you also appear righteousness to men outward, 
but inside you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. See, the Pharisees was obedient in some respect, but they neglect the weightier matters of the law. Today, we are not called to obey the law of Moses. That has been fulfilled in Christ. We are to obey the law of Christ, which is the law of love. That's found in Galatians 6, 2 and John 13, verse 34. You see, Jesus stated that the greatest command of all is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophet hang on these two commandments, which can be found in Matthews chapter 22, verse 36 through 40. If we love God, we will obey him. We won't be perfect in our obedience, but our desire to submit to the Lord and display good works. When we love God and obey him, we naturally have love for one another. Obedience to God's command will make us light and salt in a dark and tasteless world. Now, I just covered what the Bible says about obedience. My second point is, what's the difference between active obedience and passive obedience? Again, what's the difference between active obedience and passive obedience? Active obedience is when we obey the commands of someone else. Passive obedience is the total submission to another, even when harm or suffering may result. The two concepts are very similar, but active obedience usually involves the performance of a certain deeds, while passive obedience applies non-resistance. In reference to God, active obedience is seeking out his commands and setting our heart to do them. Passive obedience is a state of ongoing surrender that says, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus exemplified both active and passive obedience at all times during his ministry on earth. And Christians are, rely, are to rely on the Holy Spirit power to follow that example. God required active obedience of the Israelites in the Old Testament. That active obedience was detailed and difficult because God wanted them to realize that they could be, that they could not be righteous enough to deserve his mercy and grace. He was setting the stage for the entrance of his son, Jesus, who will fulfill every letter of the law. Through Jesus' active obedience, he fulfilled the totality of the law requirements. He said, I will always do those things that pleases him. In passive obedience, Jesus, Jesus submitted himself to cruel and unjust treatment because it was the will of God. The Bible never uses the term active obedience or passive obedience, but some biblical descriptions of Jesus' passion do emphasize passivity. When they, heard the, when they hurled those insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. justly. A Christian is to remain in a constant state of passive obedience to God. Walking in the spirit means that we stay, we stay sensitive to his leading and respond the way he wants us to. When hardship comes, we endure as James chapter one, verse two says, when hardship comes, we endure. We live in the knowledge that God will work everything together in our goods. So we need not to pursue vengeance because the Lord has declared that vengeance is mine. I will repay. That's God promises in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. 
And also in Galatians 6, 9 and Philippians 2, 13, it says, in other words, stop, stop, stop trying to get back at people who have done you wrong. If there is a violation, God will handle that. We know that God is at work in our lives. He would give him and we would give him free reign to accomplish what he wants. However, passive obedience is only half of the responsibility of the Christian. God has specifically commanded commands he wants us to obey. And many of them are contrary to what we naturally choose. Jesus told us that in order to follow him, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross. It's found right there in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus told us that in order to follow him, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross. Those are actions. Among other things, we are told to be not drunk with wine, but be fulfilled with the Holy Spirit. Flee sexually immorality and love one another and pursue holiness. These commands are required active obedience. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 12 through 22 is it provides a list of commands from Paul to the church. It is not an exhaustive list, but it demonstrates that Christians life requires performing certain action. With Jesus as our perfect martyr and the Holy Spirit as our strength, we must pursue lives of both paths, passive and active obedience. It takes both to fulfill commands such as this. As far as it is up to you, live at peace with everyone. Passive obedience overlooks wrongs and leads judgment with God. Active obedience seeks ways to do good and avoid evil. When we live this way, we glorify our Father in heaven. So I have discussed what the Bible says about obedience as well as the difference between uh, active and passive obedience. My third and final point is, why is it why is obedience to God important? Why is obedience to God important? First of all, obedience to God proves our love for him. That can be found in 1 John chapter 5, verse 2 through 3. It demonstrates our faithfulness to him, and it glorifies him in the world, and it opens up avenues of blessings for us. So faith is necessary to, to please God. It's stated right there. Hebrews eleven six, faith is necessary to please God. And if our faith is genuine and true, we will live a lifestyle categorized by righteousness, modeling example set for us by Jesus Christ. We obey his commands, not because we have to, but because we want to, because we love him. We love Christ. We are enabled to obey him, we obey him because once we believe in Christ and we are saved, we are remade. We are not the same people we were once were. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians verse 5, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When we obey the Lord, we can live a life of joy without shame, rooted deeply in the Lord and confidence of our eternal hope. While the spirit of Christ is, there is freedom. Our obedience is actually part of our assurance that we truly know God. God wants us to have insurance of our salvation. We should not live our Christian lives wondering and, and worrying each day whether we are truly saved. That is why the Bible makes the plan of salvation so clear. 
so clear that in John 3, 16, Acts 16 to 31, it says, believe in Jesus Christ. Do you, do you believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins and rose again from the dead? Do you trust him alone for salvation? If your answer to these questions is yes, you are saved. Insurance means freedom from doubt. By taking God's words to heart, you can have no doubt that about, your, about the reality of your eternal salvation. No man or woman walking this earth can take this away from you. So when God's children obey their heavenly father, he is glorified. Jesus told us of that plan is for others to see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Of course, performing good deeds requires obedience to the one who calls us to do good deeds. A Christian testimony of holiness is a strong witness that God is at work in the world. You know, Psalms 128 verse one, it said, blessed are, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. The Bible also tells us that God blesses and rewards obedience. You know, James chapter one, verse 22 through 25 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Whoever looks intensely into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Go quickly to Psalms 119 verses 1 through 2. I'll give you a little time to get there. Again, that's Psalms 119 verses 1 and 2. Hope you're there. If not, you can jot it down to refer back to it later. Psalms 119, verses 1 through 2 states, Blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. See, God is gracious. If we haven't been living for him, we haven't been following his commandments. If we've been living in and for the world, we can be transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> we can ask God for forgiveness and he would give it. And when we choose, to and he will choose to forget the sin, just as if it never been committed in the first place. You see, God is glorified when he extends forgiveness because it is written. Again, God is glorified when he extends forgiveness because it is written. If we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 to 17, where it states, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. So y'all better hang on to God's word and not the condemning words of your friends, family, critics, or haters. They have neither a heaven or hell to send you to and do not let them convince you otherwise. When God extends forgiveness, it's a wrap. And there's nothing no one else can do about it. You see, the question has been asked, does God reward us for being obedient to his word? First of all, God's pleasure and obedience is documented all over in scripture, especially in the Old Testament. You have Psalms 91, verse 14 through 15, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13 to 14. God's covenant with Israel at Sinai was very much Conditional, as it was based on their obedience and his promises to bless them depending on whether or not they kept his commands. 
The Old Testament recorded, records the consequence of Israel experienced when they kept or broke their covenant. When Israel obeyed, God prospered them. When they defiled him, he brought judgment. During this time in human history, God offered tangible rewards for obedience to his commands. So what the question, so what about now in this modern day time? What about now? Does God reward us for being obedient to his words? We can better answer this question by recognizing that God's word is the instructional manual for our lives. When we apply these, when we apply his principles, our conscious and our clean, and our lives function as they were designed to function. Consider it this way: a man purchased an unassembled swing set for his children. He is not the engineer type. He has no experience in working with tools. But if he reads the manual and consult with people who have assembled th such things before, he will be able to set up the swing set in a way that it was designed and he and his children would be greatly rewarded for his trouble. If we ignore the owner manual, however, his court and frustration and possible disaster, there are built in rewards for simply following instructions. Therefore, there are built in rewards for simply following, following God's command and his instructions in the Bible. Let's look at Psalms 1, verses 1 through 4. Again, that's Psalms 1, verses 1 through 4. Because these few verses explain it in this way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the, in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the stream, of water that yields his fruit in his season and his leaf does not wither and all that he does he prosper the wicked are so are not so but are like shaft that the wind drives away when we follow the way of wisdom we reap better experience and those better experience produce rewards such as material provision relational benefits and mental and emotional health these are god's reward for people who follow his instructions God's reward to those who obey his word can seem, can seem like natural consequences. For example, a child obeys God's word and honor his parents. He finds that he is blessed with a close family relationship, less conflict, and more trust. Are these the direct blessing of God's for obedience or natural consequences for treating parents well, or both? Another example, a teenager obeys God's word and avoids sexual immorality. She finds that she is blessed with less complicated romantic relationships. She's an absence of STDs and fewer headaches, relationship headaches. Is she experiencing the direct blessing from God for obedience or the logical outcome of choosing a path of abstinence or both? God not, does not always define reward the same way we do. We think of God's reward, you know, us for behaving well, and we usually think of tangible material goodies. But God has eternity in mind. The Bible ensures history are filled with examples of people who obeyed the Lord at great cost to themselves. Scripture, godly men and women often did not appear to reap any earthly rewards for their obedience. Yet many are listed in the hall of faith as people whose rewards are in heaven. Hebrews 11 uh, verses 39 through 40 summarize. It says, although all these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised 
since God had provided something better for us so that we would not be made perfect without us. Obedience to the word includes obedience to the gospel that, that carries great rewards. When we accept God's offer of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, we are, we are pronounced righteousness in his sight. There is no longer any uh, condemnation waiting for us because in his grace, God considered the sacrifice of his son as sufficient payment for great debt we owed him. As part of this salvation, we are promised eternal in glory, eternity and glory with him. None of the salvation benefits are a reward for our performance. Forgiveness and heavens are gifts granted to us because of God's great love. The most unworthy criminal, hear me out now, the most unworthy criminal who cries out repentance on his deathbed will receive the same pardon and eternity in heaven as the missionary martyred on the mission field. That can be found in Luke 23, verse 39 through 43, or Matthews chapter 20, verse 1 through 16. However, Jesus does promise many different kinds of rewards in heaven for every deed done in his name on earth. When we walk in the fellowship with him, keeping our sins confessed and our lives free of besetting sins, we are rewarded daily with the fruit from the Holy Spirit, which we can find in Galatians 5, uh, verses 22 through 23. Communion with God, found in James chapter 4, verse 7 through 8. And the power to resist the attacks of Satan. That can be found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 17. Whatever struggle we face on earth in order to obey God's word would be overly compensated in eternity, which rewards we cannot even imagine. What holds, what holds us back from being obedient to God's word? God uses many biblical characters for his glory and advancement of his kingdom. We can do the same in this day and time, despite you know, our self-proclaimed limitation. You see, he used Noah who was a drunk because Noah was willing to obey his command. He used Abraham, even though Abraham thought he was too old, he obeyed God by leaving his country and going to another place. He used David at the age of 12 to 16 to become the greatest king of Israel. He used Paul, whose name was Saul at the time. Paul's early life was marked by religious zeal, brutal violence, and the relentless persecution of the early church. Paul was given the opportunity to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. The story of Paul is a story of redemption in Jesus Christ and testimony that no one is beyond the saving grace of God. If God can use the ones I mentioned, please tell me why God cannot use any one of us. We all have something in common with them. They were sinners with flaws, and so are we. However, there is a man who paid the cost for our sins. He provided the greatest sacrifice and signs of obedience that will, ever be, that will never be duplicated again. Now, I'm talking about a man who was born in Bethlehem. He was reared in Nazareth. He was baptized in the Jordan. He performed miracles in a desert place. He wept over Jerusalem. He prayed in Gethsemane. He called him the true vine. We could call him the bread of life. We could call him the lily of the valley. We could call him the light of the world. We could call him the great I am. We could call him the Alpha, the Omega. 
We could call him the bright and morning star. He is our rock and our redeemer. He is our deliverer. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the greatest sacrifice and showmanship of obedience happened on one Friday on a skull-shaped hill called Calvary. They hung him high and they stretched him wide. He gave his life. They didn't take his life. They buried him in a tomb on Friday. He remained there on Saturday. They thought they had him. But, and I say a but, on early that Sunday morning, he got up. I said he got up. My church, didn't he get up? with all power in his hand to live as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to God be the glory. Now, you may be thinking, but Dr. Jefferson, you don't know the things I have done and the things I've been through. Well, the truth is, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the Bible says, all you have to do is confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you could be saved. So pray this prayer with me. Precious God, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. And on that third day, he rised again. And he has been sitting at your right hand praying for me to hear this word. And today I want to make him my Lord and Savior. Come into my life, live in me and through me. Make my every decisions. Make me your child. Be my father. Teach me how to live your life. And if you have prayed that prayer, you are part of the body of Christ. That is nothing anybody can do to stop you. The next step is to find a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. And if you accepted Christ today or would you like to be part of a church, just follow the instructions on the screen and one of the ministers will be in contact with you. Second, if you have been blessed by this ministry and you would like to uh, help us continue to fulfill our assignment in this earth, click the donate button to Soy's Financial Seed. You can use Cash App, PayPal, or Giblify. Simply follow the instructions on the streams. I pray that you have been blessed by this word. I'm Dr. KML Jefferson. Thank you for your time and may the Lord bless and shower upon you all. Be blessed and please stay tuned for our announcements. At my church, we help people get better by teaching them how the word works. And we wanna make sure there is no excuse not to get the word. It's our goal to make all of our ministries accessible on every smartphone, tablet, PC, and television connected to the internet. So whether you're a man who needs some wisdom, a woman who needs some encouragement, or a couple who needs guidance, the My Church channel has just what you need. Simply search for the My Church channel on Roku, Firestick, or Apple TV, or visit mychurchchannel.org. You can also download the My Church on the Go app from Apple, or Google Play App Store. Constantly on the move? Check out the Word at My Church podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Or simply download the Word at My Church skill on your Alexa-enabled device. But whatever you do, make sure to stay connected. See you soon.